What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast. I hope all of you are having a great day so far. So in today's episode, I'm going to be covering something I've been wanting to focus on for a while, and that is gardening. Most of the other podcast episodes so far have been uh, focused on, you know, real recognizable foods, but that's not all I want to talk about in this show. Besides just exploring the different kinds of whole foods and raw ingredients out there, I uh, also want to, you know, get you guys thinking about where your food actually comes from and also kind of reflect on how these whole foods fit into the grander cycles of nature. So let me ask you this, how often do you really reflect on where your food comes from? Be honest, I'm guessing almost never. And don't get me wrong, I'm guilty of this as well. The fact that, you know, most of us get your foods from grocery stores that are open 24-7 just means that, you know, we don't get into contact with the actual food production on a daily basis. So the line between where the food is actually coming from and where we buy it from really is blurred. Therefore, you know, just ask yourself more often, where does my food come from? See, personally, this is something I never really prioritized for myself when I was younger. But now I really do it all the time, especially when I'm choosing new foods or when I'm looking at new brands to buy from. Now, I would say I've always been kind of conscious about where my food comes from, though. And, uh, you know, this is partially due to my dad, who took me hunting from a very young age and really introduced me to this age-old tradition of food acquisition and taught me the whole cycle from, you know, spotting an animal, understanding the animal, killing the animal, and then processing that into food. Also, I've always kind of had a basic understanding and appreciation for farming, mostly because my godmother uh, in Germany owns an organic farm. And, you know, I would visit their farm uh, on a yearly basis. So I was always kind of exposed to their farming practices and their values around food acquisition since a young age. So I've always had that appreciation there. But it was never something I actually actively reflected on. Over the last years, there were a couple factors that really got me personally interested in this idea of trying to understand where my food comes from. And, you know, someone who heavily influenced me with this was my stepbrother from Germany. Both of us have always been giant foodies and really been into cooking. But, you know, he actually decided to go all in and become an organic farmer and really kind of dedicate his life to food production. So he actually started an apprenticeship as an organic farmer. And since I spent a lot of time with him when I was in Germany, I was really exposed to, you know, his ideas and his knowledge that he's acquired during his apprenticeship and the one thing that really really opened my eyes to you know wanting to understand the cycles that bring food to our table was when uh, we decided to start our very own vegetable garden because you know the whole process a gardener undertakes really reveals natural cycles that are going on all around us and they're happening all around us all the time but you know most of us in our busy lives we just don't really realize that you're going on and we don't see them. Now, this was like four years ago, I would say. And since then, I've tried to grow at least some vegetables every year. And I'm not claiming to be an expert in gardening or anything, you know, but I have really kind of acquired a growth mindset. And therefore, you know, I have been trying to learn new gardening skills every year since I started. And I've been making some progress. So the very first time my stepbrother and I started our vegetable garden, we just 
kind of went for it, honestly. He had uh, learned some basic knowledge already in his apprenticeship about how growing vegetables works and, you know, how growing crops works. And the rest we just kind of looked up in books or researched online. You know, there's tons of video on YouTube. So after doing a little research, we first bought some quality organic seeds that was important to us. And the idea of, you know, growing our own garden was so exciting (laughs) that we probably bought way more varieties than we needed. And at the end, you know, I still have seeds from then left over, which probably isn't the best because they do go bad if you don't store them right after a while. Next, we really just looked into what supplies we had at home and which ones we still had to get. So we did that. And then we just got into the process. The very first thing that needs to be done when you're trying to start a vegetable garden is, uh, you know, kind of thinking about what you want to plant and how are you going to do it. But once that's all done, you're going to have to get into the process of actually planting. Now, most of you are probably thinking, you know, how hard can planting seeds be? And that's exactly what I thought. And the answer is that it's really not hard at all. But there are some factors to take into account and there are some best practices to follow. So in today's episode, I want to do just that. I want to, you know, give all of you who have played with the idea of growing your own food some of my advice. And if you're thinking, well, I don't have a garden, nor do I have a lawn, so I can't grow my own food, then, you know, hopefully I can change your mind. Because honestly, you don't really need a giant outdoor garden or a ton of space to grow some basic veggies. There are tons of people who are growing vegetables in apartments, on porches, on balconies, on rooftops, and I've seen pictures of people growing them even on their fire escapes in cities. It's called urban gardening if you want to look it up. There are tons of helpful resources online and a bunch of books have been written about it as well. So what I'm trying to say is whether you have you know, a lawn or a windowsill, either way, you can at least attempt to grow your own food. Think about it. Almost everyone I know has some sort of plant inside your house or apartment. But rarely do I ever see anyone grow edible plants. It's always like a palm tree or like some cacti. Why? You know, you could be growing some edible plants that are relatively easy to grow, like kitchen herbs or lettuce, for example. At least you can give it a try. And maybe you will also have this kind of awakening that I had when I first saw, you know, my tomatoes and the lettuces that I had planted myself grow from a seed into this plant that I could actually harvest and eat and share with my family and friends. It is such a satisfying feeling. All right. If I haven't convinced you to just try growing your own food and engage in the process yet, stick around because at the end of this episode, I have a small challenge for you guys. Okay, but let's get into the actual thing I wanted to talk about in this episode. And that is how and when should I be starting my seeds indoors? This is something that every gardener is asking themselves about this time of the year, especially here in Wisconsin, because, you know, spring is coming, the ice has been melting, and we've been getting warmer weather, so gardening season is coming up. But before I get going, let me just say that starting seeds indoors definitely is not a necessity, especially for a beginning gardener. However, I did it the first time I started a garden, and I think it's a good skill to learn from the get-go. So why would you want to start seeds indoors in the first place? Well, the biggest thing is that it's going to give you a head start. Because, you know, if you start them inside, they've already been growing and maturing for a bit, 
So when you bring the plants outside, once the weather is warm enough, they'll be actually ready for harvest much, much sooner. Also, it gives you a little bit more control over the germination process, I would say. And if anything goes wrong during this time, you will always still have time to plant seeds again later when the season really gets going. But I also want to mention that, you know, starting seeds indoors is not really a one-all approach. Everyone does it a little different and it also is going to depend on what tools you have or where you live. But let's talk about some of the bare bones that have worked for me. First of all, you have to find out when the best time to start seeds is. This is going to depend on where you live and, you know, what plant you're trying to grow. But the big thing to watch out for is your last frost date. The last frost date is going to be very different for someone who lives in the southern United States or someone like me who lives all the way up in Wisconsin. But don't worry, I have some resources in the show notes for you guys. These will help you figure this out. There's a website that will give you, you know, a rough average for your first and last frost date. And then I also have a map that will kind of show you an overview of all the different frost date estimates around the U.S. Like I said, you can find these resources in the show notes. The show notes will be on the website, www.theyearofplenty.com, or in the podcast app right by the episode. Now, you will never 100% know when the last frost date will be. It's becoming more and more unpredictable, at least where I live. But these resources should give you a good estimate. So it is crucial to at least get a rough estimate of your last frost date. Because you don't want to start your seeds too early. And you don't want to start your seeds too late. If you start your seeds too early, you know, the plants might be ready to go outside before it's warm enough. And that's not good. And if you start too late, well, that kind, you know, it kind of defeats the purpose of starting indoors in the first place, right? Okay, so once you have the last frost date figured out, you need to decide what plants you want to plant. That's the next step. The ones I've found to be the easiest to grow so far are tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, squashes, and lettuce. And most of these are plants that require a lot of nutrients to grow. So keep that in mind if you try these out. But... That is something you don't have to really worry about until a later time. And I'll also try to make a podcast episode on that to kind of share how I go about doing that. But there are many plants you can start indoors. And every seed package usually tells you when to plant the seeds on the back. So it'll say like, plant this seed four weeks before the last frost date. So you kind of want to follow what's in the seed package. But depending on which seeds you buy or where you buy them from, you know, it might not say it on the, on the seed package. So in this case, you are going to want to go online and try to find it out. Or I'm going to make a short overview for you guys that you can check out. It's going to show you a list of some, you know, basic plants. Obviously not all, but some common ones and some good ones to start out with. And it'll show you when to start, which seed before the last frost date. Again, it's going to be on my website, but I'm also going to post it on my Instagram, which is at Wheeland or on the Twitter. And the handle for that is at the year of plenty. Now when choosing seeds you got to know that there's some plants that really don't like being started indoors mostly because once they get growing they can't handle being transplanted which means moved you know moved moving it into a different container or a different pot or even just outside into the ground. These seeds or plants are root vegetables like beets, carrots, radishes, all those. If you transplant these it is going to damage the roots 
And the problem with that is that you're actually harvesting them for the roots, right? So, you know, you don't want to damage them by transplanting. I've tried starting them indoors and it's never really worked out for me. So instead, you want to direct sow these into the ground or into your raised bed outside. Also, I've personally found that root vegetables don't grow well in pots, at least, you know, when I was trying it. So if all you have is like big pots to grow plants in, then I would focus more on something like herbs, leafy greens, tomatoes, or peppers. All right, when you have uh, bought your seeds, look at the package. And most of the packages will have some information about, you know, when to plant the seeds before the last frost date, like I said. Then once you have that, figure out your last frost date. Then once you have figured out your last frost date and you have the information on when before the last frost date to plant a seed, grab a calendar and just kind of count backwards, you know, count back, count the weeks backwards. This will give you an, a good estimate on which day you should be starting your seeds indoors. So let's recap. Before planting seeds indoors, you definitely need to know your last frost date. And you also want to, you know, know which plants you're trying to grow. Because that's going to be important for two reasons. It's going to, one, you know, kind of affect when exactly you're going to want to plant before that last frost date. But it's also going to let you know if it's even a plant that likes being started indoors. All right, so these are like the big factors to watch out for when trying to uh, start your seeds indoors. But there's also a couple best practices I want to share with you guys that you can try to follow. And again, these are not written in stone. Gardening is really experimental and everyone does it a little different. First of all, you can always just grab a flowering pot and plant your seeds in there. However, most gardeners use what is called a seedling or a planting tray. And this is pretty much a tray that has, you know, many little cavities. This allows you to plant a bunch of seeds right next to each other in your own designated cell. I'm sure you have seen one, but, you know, if not, just look up a picture online. Once you see it, you'll immediately know what I mean. So there are definitely benefits to using a tray like this. First of all, it's going to take up much less space inside. And you know you can plant a bunch of seed at once. And this is important since you probably have limited space, I'm guessing. Also, not every seed is going to germinate. So it makes sense to plant more plants than you're probably going to need. The next big question is what to use as a growing substrate with these trays. Now, you could just use normal soil but it's not really recommended. The seeds really like to have a substrate that'll make it easy for them to grow. If you use soil from outside, and I've done this, you know, it might have a ton of rocks and plant matter in it. So the better route to go, in my opinion, is just to use a seed starter mix. And you can buy a seed starting mix in pretty much any store that sells gardening supplies or gardening equipment. However, before filling the seedling trays with this substrate, you might want to consider baking or boiling it. I know, it sounds strange, and honestly, I've never done it personally, but I will for sure this year. And let me tell you why. So I've been, you know, hesitant to do this, because I always thought that baking it will destroy all the microbiota in the seed starting mix, and it will, but this doesn't really matter at all, because the seeds don't actually need the seed starting mix for nutrients. The seed really just needs a place to start growing, Nothing in this seed starting mix actually aids the growth of the seed because the plant, once it germinates, it gets all the nutrients from the actual seed. That's how nature intended it. So if you sterilize the seed starting mix, you will kill any fungi or you know insect eggs that might be in there. This could save you a lot of headaches down the road. 
So once you sterilize your seed mix, you want to get it moist and then throw it into the different cells of the seedling tray. Now don't just, you know, throw it in there once and just kind of leave it in there loose. You really want to make sure you're kind of packing the seedling starter mix in there. Next, you're going to want to, you know, start planting the actual seed. And this is going to depend on what kind of seed you have. Different seeds need to be planted at a different depth for them to germinate and um, sprout properly. Usually, again, you'll find this information on the seed package. For example, it might say half an inch or a quarter inch into the soil or seed starting mix. Some seeds, you know, can even just be placed on the surface and they'll just germinate there. Like I said, it's going to depend on what kind of plant you're growing. Just try to figure that out. There's a lot of information on this online as well. Then another important thing to watch out for is sunlight. You can either start growing your seeds under like grow lights, but I'm guessing most of you don't have those. So a window will do. However, it's crucial that you have a window that gets direct sunlight, ideally for a good six to eight hours a day. So look for a south facing window. The plants especially need intense sunlight, you know, when they're sprouting up. So make sure you have that. Another factor for germination and sprouting to take into account is temperature. Every plant kind of has its prime temperature for germination. So research that a little bit as well. But I found that room temperature is usually a good starting point for most of the plants. And honestly, I've never really controlled the temperature too much. I know it's it can be a game changer, but you know, as a hobby gardener like me, I don't mind if I lose a couple plants or if some seeds don't germinate because, you know, I'm not trying to sell vegetables on a large scale. And so far, I've always had a couple that didn't germinate, but at the end of the season, I've had plenty of vegetables, so don't be too worried about this one. Finally, the last question I always ask myself is, you know, what's the best way to water plants? It's not really a good idea to water your seeds from the top, like with a cup or something like that. I've done that mistake before. First of all, if you're using like a cup or a watering can, it's going to splash a bunch. You know, the, you might splash soil around. This will really move the soil between your cells, which you don't want. And, you know, it's all. it might also spread diseases or, or fungus around within your seedling tray. And it might also kind of impact the buried seed. So you might accidentally use too much water and flush your seed from its perfect planting depth all the way to, you know, the bottom of the seedling tray. And that's going to impact how it germinates. It might not germinate at all at that point. So a much better way is to bottom water. And what do I mean by that? Well, your seedling tray has two parts. One part is the actual tray that goes on the bottom and then you have like an inner piece, which is all the connected planting cells next to each other. The bottom tray uh, doesn't have any holes. So, you know, you just want to fill that up with a little water. And then you take the inner part that has all the, you know, cells with the seeds planted in them and put it inside this tray. And these cells actually have little holes on the bottom. So, you know, the seed starting mix in there can really absorb the water now from the bottom part of the tray. But you got to watch out. You don't want your seed starting mix to soak up all that water and then, you know, still have have to have it like swim in water. That's not good at all. There are great YouTube videos online that will show you how to do this. And I'm going to upload some videos of when I'm starting my seeds too. Uh, that way, you know, you can kind of check how I'm doing it or how other people are doing it. 
and with practice, you're going to find out what the right amount of water is. Oh, and you might also be asking yourself, how long do I keep these plants in the seedling trays after they have germinated and sprouted? Well, personally, I've been, you know, kind of going with my gut feeling on that. But let me explain the whole process quickly so you understand how starting seeds indoors kind of fits into this whole gardening cycle. So you will start the seeds indoors right about now, if you're in Wisconsin at least. And, you know, it's still cold outside. But like I said, what this will do, it's going to give you a head start. So you're going to start growing them indoors once they're big enough after maybe about a week or so, you're going to move them into a little bigger um, like pot. If you use, Especially if you're using like really small cells to start out with, you're going to want to move these plants into a little bigger pot. Um, this way they can just, you know, grow a little bit more and really build a nice root system. And once it's actually warm enough outside after your last frost date, you're going to take those plants and you're going to move them directly outside. So that means you're either going to transplant them into the ground in your garden bed or you have a raised bed maybe to plant something in. That's always a good idea. Or if you don't have either of those other two, you might just use pots and that should work just as well. I've grown several tomato plants, lettuces, peppers, cucumbers in actual like big pots. So it works. All right, that's all I have on starting seeds indoors for you guys. I know this was a pretty general overview, but hopefully it helps. Now, I do want to talk about something quick, though. If you decide growing some of your own food, you won't be perfect from the beginning. Heck, you know, there's always room for improvement with gardening. I'm still learning it all the time, really, every year. But, you know, that's the beauty of it, in my opinion. It's just a skill that really allows you to grow year by year. What I want you guys to focus on is the process, not so much the results. If you try growing your own food and, you know, you lose some plants along the way, it's always a bummer and, you know, it can be very discouraging, but don't let that affect you. Just come back and try it again. But don't be afraid to start gardening. I'm telling you, if you follow some of the steps I've talked about in this episode for starting seeds indoors and you do some of your own research and you just kind of dive into the process, and you stick with it, you're going to have some success at the end of the season. And again, it's really about the process, because it can teach you so much about the way our food is grown. And it will also open your eyes to a bunch of new and interesting information you probably had no idea about. I mean, gardening can really, really open up a lot of rabbit holes. Just think about the different kind of plants you can learn about, the different soils, the, all the different living organisms that will impact the growing cycles of your plants. And I'm telling you, learning about all this stuff really gave me a chance to connect with nature on a different level. You know, most of us kind of just go hiking or we go into the forest to connect with nature. But actually interacting with nature in such a way that you are kind of giving and taking through planting seeds, it's it's a very unique and special kind of experience. So yeah, it's definitely allowed me to connect with nature on a whole nother level, and it's really made me appreciate it that much more. I think that's what really motivates me to come back every year and start a new garden. So like I said, I have a little challenge for you guys. My challenge for you this year is just to go out there and try growing some sort of edible plant. I guarantee 
that learning about this process will make you appreciate your food that much more. If you try this challenge, let me know if you have any questions. I will try and give you some tips as best as I can. Also, upload pictures on your Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you know, so I can see the process and others can too. Use the hashtag Year of Plenty and tag me in it. I'll repost it. That's all I have for you guys today. Please, please, please share this episode with your family and friends. Share it in social media. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can either find an awesome subscribe page on my website, which is www.theyearofplenty.com, or if you go to my Instagram or Twitter, my Instagram is at poldywheeland, and the Twitter handle is theyearofplenty. Uh, in the bio, you'll find a link that takes you to all the subscribe links for all the platforms. So it's super easy. You can also, you know, just grab your friend's phone, your mom's phone, or your grandpa's phone, and just, you know, hit the subscribe button for them. Finally, if you like this episode and you could learn something from it, please leave a five-star review in your podcast app. This is just going to let new listeners find a podcast and also allow the podcast to get ranked. And this way... More foodies like you and me can join us in exploring all these foods and food processes. Also, I just want to say thank you to anyone who takes time out of their day to listen to these episodes. And I've been getting great feedback from you guys. So please keep that up. That's really going to allow me to, you know, make the show better and make sure that I'm giving you guys some value. Thank you for listening. See you soon.